Hey guys, this is BC Kowalski with the Wasonian Newsletter. Today, Alan and I are going to talk about what if your business that you're starting competes with your current employer. This presents a number of challenges. And Alan and I talk about some strategies to mitigate that and whether that competition really is competition. Maybe there's room for collaboration instead. All that and more on the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. The extraordinary belongs to those that created. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur. Well, Alan, it's so great to uh, sit down and talk to you. And I've got some, some questions for you that I'm going to read off. You know, and the thing, I guess the principal thing I wanted to, to ask you today is what is your advice? And this is something I haven't, I don't think I've heard on the podcast yet, unless I missed it. But what is your advice for people who are starting a business that at least somewhat competes with their current business? I'll preface it by saying that I have found something of a solution for my own situation, and I'll, we'll get into that in a second. But I want to hear, I want to hear what you have to say first. Well, it's quite interesting. Competition is a fascinating thing, and it's based on the principle that business is a zero-sum game. I, for me to win, someone else has to lose. There's only so much business. People are scared of competition. They don't want it. And actually, I found the opposite to be true. If you're successful and we're in the same industry, quite often that leaves more clients for us because the whole industry grows. I don't believe it's a zero-sum game at all. I believe you can win and I can win. And I think that's a very different way of looking at it. However, there are some real things that happen. And to give you an example, the first ever, it was Pop-Up Business School at the time. It's now Rebel Business School. The first ever event we ran, we sold to a housing association in Western Supermare in Southern England. And we'd won the business. We were running a two-week course in entrepreneurship. And the housing association, housing authority, they're called in the States, wanted us to work with the local provider of entrepreneurship. So they set up a meeting for them and us. And we went into this meeting. I didn't really know why we were wanting to work with them. Maybe they would promote our course. I didn't really know why. Not a big fan of the traditional services because they make you write business plans and all that stuff. And we got in there and this lady went on the attack. What qualifications do you have to be able to run this course? All of my people are Sfedi and there's like a training to enable you to be an entrepreneurial coach called Sfedi in the UK. My business partner, Simon, is a trained Sfedi coach, and you can ask him what his opinions are, but they're not very positive about that particular training. And she went fully on the attack. and We weren't expecting it. So we're on the back foot. We were under attack. And it turns out the reason why she felt she should have got the money from the housing association that we got. So she felt as though her business her funding was under attack and she attacked us. She saw us as competition and she wanted to wipe us out. And that's happened repeatedly through what we've been doing in the UK. And it comes from a very small-minded attitude that there's only so much to go around. There's only so much money. I need to fight and claw. And if anyone comes for me, I'll take it. Yeah, and that's interesting because I've seen that same kind of attitude where I, where I live, where there's, there's a sort of a weird competitive mindset and not not the idea that more that you know rising tides raise all ships. And I think 
I think there's a lot of situations where that's that's the case, and I've, I've it's kind of unfortunate because I think there's a lot of that mindset where I live too, where it's sort of like, oh, you have to get this loan and make this huge business plan, and I think that's what I liked about about your approach. It's like, well, just go sell something first, see if you can actually actually <laughs> you know actually get someone to buy it because. You know, I think you told the story about people uh, standing in front of where they wanted to host a coffee shop and and saying, "Would you buy a coffee?" And people are like, "Oh yeah." People will tell you all day that, "Oh yeah, no, we'll buy that for sure." And then when it actually comes time to put dollars to dollars to donuts, that's when you actually find if you're really going to get you know a sale or not. My favorite thing to say is people will be nice to you up until the point when you take your wallet or your purse out of your pocket and ask for money. That's the only point they'll actually tell you their real thoughts and feelings. And I think it's, it is fascinating. So a couple of more thoughts on, on this competition bit. Number one, does it actually directly compete? Because quite often, if you're leaving an employer to go and start your own business, you're fishing a different size company you're going for a different size piece of business. So does it actually compete? Thought number two is there's always plenty of room in the market. There is so much business that isn't being done yet. There's always room. Thought number three is about business is not a zero-sum game, although your employer probably doesn't believe it. Thought number four is how can you give more than you take? To give you an example of that, you might win a huge piece of business that's too big for just you. And you could share it with your previous employer and say, you do this bit, we'll do this bit, we'll work together. Like you might actually bring in more than you take. And I think there's different ways to look at it. That doesn't mean your employer will look at it differently. That means you can look at it differently and maybe coach them through, coax them through, help them to see that actually you want them to win as well as you to win. Yeah, that's a really good point. I don't know. Did you have more to say? Otherwise, I kind of wanted to get into my my situation. No, tell me about your situation. Let's dive straight in. Let's do that because it kind of dovetails on what you were saying. So I, I'm an editor of a newspaper now. I was like the chief reporter and photographer, and I'm kind of the guy in charge. And I kind of do it kind of a one man band in that respect, uh, which gives me more. I have more flexibility now, but also a lot more responsibility. So it's been an interesting trade. But my previous boss was an entrepreneur. She owned the paper, had a couple of silent investors, but otherwise it was a, a private venture. And now we sold to you know a bigger newspaper company. She, she took the very zero-sum view of it, of mm. competition. So when I started my podcast, she had some qualms about me doing that. She felt it was competing with the paper but even even from a content perspective, which kind of surprised me, because to me, it's very different. I, I had, she had certain rules about how I could handle it. Like for one, I did I did an interview of like the two mayor candidates, and she didn't want me to release those videos until after my inter my newspaper interviews had published, which was sort of strange because that like a podcast is a really different thing, and it was more about yeah. getting to know them as people. It wasn't really like. We, we, we purposely, I purposely didn't get into policy. It, it was, it was kind of strange. So, and also why can't one promote the other? Like in the newspaper article, it says, listen to the podcast if you want more. And the podcast says, we've got the newspaper article coming up and you actually build both audiences. You get more people because podcast listeners don't always read newspapers. My father-in-law loves to read the newspaper every morning, but he doesn't listen to podcasts. It's not his thing. Different audiences, different modalities. 
Yeah, I, I thought I thought it was kind of strange, and uh, so I had to wait. I had to wait to release the episodes until it appeared in print, and you know, whatever. So I don't, I don't know if she, I don't know if she knew that I had sponsors for the podcast, but I, I do, and it's so it's been uh, you know bringing in some money. That's kind of fun. And then rec- more recently, so I, before I go on, my new employer uh, found the podcast and just thought it was the greatest thing in the world and didn't. Hey, uh, you know, didn't say a negative word about it. So I was like, isn't right, that cool. interesting? How one person finds it so positive and another person finds it competition, and it's all down to perspective. It's nothing to do with reality. It's to do with the own internal fear, the own internal perspective of that person. I always find that interesting, and you will never know whether they're fear based or not until you actually like do it, <laughs> and then find out what they say about it. Yeah, totally, totally true. And I, I, I think the business, I think from a business perspective, I don't even think they're that competitive because I think people who want to advertise on a podcast are looking for something out of the ordinary. They're used to radio people coming. They're used to newspaper ad people showing up or TV people. But podcasts, you know, it's kind of like the hip new thing. And so there's a certain set of businesses that are like, yeah, we want our presence on that. It doesn't even matter if you have a giant audience as long as you have a local audience, like we like that. It's 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 them seeing themselves as supporting something outside of the norm or reaching out in an avenue that's different. So I, I think I think my current employer maybe kind of sees it that way. Well, I've got an idea for you. The idea for you, and I don't know how this would play out, is you've got two different modalities, two different offerings that people will want. However, you've got a similar client that might want both. If the newspaper has salespeople, they can offer newspaper ad and podcast ad to go together. And if you're doing sale, say to them, well, you can get a newspaper ad rolled in with it. And you're then bringing extra into the newspaper. And maybe you split some of the sponsorship money the other way. I don't see why it can't be a win-win on both sides for both customers if they're open to that. And the only way to know if they're open that is just to start suggesting it. I might be able to bring you a client or even just bring them a client and say, look, these people are sponsoring my podcast, but they also said they'd like a newspaper ad at the same time. Are you saying that's an idea I can do without a 50-page business plan and and (laughs) $50,000 in loans? (laughs) You'll need an agreement with your employer saying, if you sell some podcast advertising, here's what it'll cost and here's our split. But that's just a written down, that's just an email, go and have a chat. And then write down the email and say, here's our agreement. It doesn't have to be a big formal thing. No, definitely not. That's a good idea. I like that. And so my my newer business that I started about six months ago, I started a local newsletter. And what I do is once a week, I just give people a quick summary of the news. It's meant to be able to that Thursday morning, you can pull up your email, pull up my, my newsletter. And just basically know everything that's basically going on in, in the city for, for the week. I love that. But yeah, people are really liking it. I, I saw a lot of people, people, people subscribe to it pretty quickly. The base grew fairly quickly. And then, you know, the, but then, you know, the dollars to donuts moment came. I'm like, okay, in May, I turned on the paid subscriptions. And I'm like, let's see what people, let's see if people actually pay for this. And people actually have been. So I've been providing, what I do is I provide extra content on the weekends and I'd say about 75 to 80% of that is, is you have to be paid to see it. And my lead in is I send, I send people an excerpt of some of my free subscribers. I'm on Substack. 
my free subscribers get a little excerpt of the story and it says, well, if you want the whole thing, you got to subscribe. And it's been, it's been pretty effective. I've been growing subscribers pretty well in the last couple of months. So cool. I love it. And then it links out to all sorts of different things. So it's not actually competition for the newspaper. It's not actually competition at all. It's actually building a user base that could support the podcast, the newspaper, it could support everything. So I don't, I don't see that as competition. Whether they would is a really fascinating question. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious about that too, and I haven't been curious enough to test it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you want to build it to a point where you feel a bit comfortable with it before testing that idea, because then you get down to the. If it was the old people who own the paper, the lady you said about who was fear based, that's when they start to go. Well, you either shut it down and work for us, or you leave, and. Like you've got to have built it to a stage that you're confident enough to go, I'm going to have this conversation. I've got enough in my back pocket. I've got enough on my side that I know if they don't give me the answer that I want, then I'm happy to say, well, I'm sorry you see it this way. I actually think it's good for both of us. But if that's your argument, I'm off to run it. But you need to get it to a stage where you feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, the, the, way, I found, I, the way I found you, Alan, was through Mr. Money Mustache. And the I love this stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I've been I've been a fire person for for quite a while, and that's allowed me to build up a pretty good net worth. So that if I had to, uh, you know, if, if this happened tomorrow, or there that conversation that you mentioned, where they say, "Yeah, but see, there see the rest of the highway," I could say, "Well, I'm a, I'm going to go cruise on the highway because I got a piece <laughs> of, you know, I can fund myself for a while if I need to, and I've got uh, some freelance work I do." S- I do some freelance uh, writing for the website eBike Escape, which my friend Ryan, who's also a fire guy, runs. And so I'm pretty good. Plus, I have some other people I can do some work for, too. So I'm pretty confident that if I needed to leave tomorrow, I I could. Which, if you were to look at JL Collins' work, he would call that the power of FU money. Yeah. Which is, if you're going to force me to do this, I don't need it because I have saved and invested it. And... If you speak to Millennial Revolution, they would say it's your FI armor. Like you've got your armor on, like you've saved and invested. So if you lose the job, your armor will protect you. And I think to anyone listening this, as much as you can, save and invest. Because the more savings, investment, the larger emergency fund you have, the more confidence it gives you in negotiation. And I tell you what, that confidence, when you walk in knowing you don't need it, but knowing it's the right thing to do, they will feel that and you will have a different relationship. You're on a peer-to-peer relationship, not a, please can I have this job? Begging (laughs) type relationship. So it changes everything. So if you're listening to this, save and invest. It changes everything. It really does. It's been amazing. Even, Even inside of your job, you just feel more confident to assert yourself, to say, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think I'm going to do that. That's I don't like that idea that you just said. I know you're going to forget about it in a week anyway. So Yeah. The challenge was I did that even when I didn't have money in the bank and then got fired and was in a pickle. Uh, that was my problem. Um, right. Let's that move on quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, so that was going to be one of my questions was about how, uh, what that point is where, you know, how that affects your decision of when to walk away. And I think you, I think you explained it well, where you said, yeah, you have to be to the point where you're confident that you can 
you're the business is built up enough that you can walk away is when you can maybe have that conversation. What I was going to ask you about is if, so a lot of the people you talk to, like they don't really have to worry about their, they can just kind of do the marketing that they want to do without really worrying about their employer because it's completely separate from what they do. In this case, you know, this has been one of my challenges and I found a few innovative ways to, to grow, but I want to talk about promotion and growth with when, when you're in a situation where you're working at a company and you're a new business, at least they might see it as competition, as we discussed, even if it is more complimentary. So it's challenging because promotion and growth is about marketing and sales and marketing and sales is about going out to the marketplace, announcing you're there, telling everyone, trying to get sales, win business. It's not a stealth operation. I'm challenging myself now going, could it be a stealth operation? And the way it could be is with the Dream 100 strategy. So I don't know if you've heard of that strategy, but the strategy is what's your Dream 100 clients? Like who out of anyone in the world would you love to work with? Don't care who it is, person, business thing. Maybe it's the 100 people that we had a, a guy that was launching a landscape business. He didn't have a driver's license. And his dream 100 clients were the 100 homes closest to his so that he could walk his lawnmower and equipment down the road, do the work, walk home. That was his dream list. And then you go, okay, if that's your dream, go out and get them. And your dream list, you could go, okay, I'm going to exclude the ones my employers got, so I'm not competing with them. And here's the dream customers I want. And then we can sort of I'm imagining a stealth sort of way of going and getting them because you find the exact person. You go and get them. You're not shouting to the marketplace because you've targeted very specifically. So I'm wondering whether the Dream 100 strategy would be the way to go for you. I think I kind, I might have kind of done that. So here's here's one of the strategies I came up with. I have two. The second one I haven't implemented yet, and I'll, I'll mention that in a second. But what I did was I created a private Facebook group for my newsletter, and then I, I can invite people to it. And then hopefully that gets them to subscribe. It's a little bit, there's a few more steps and a little more friction than I would like, but also my other strategy, but the, the nice thing is there's a little bit of a wall. So you can't get in unless they let you into the wall. So I can bring those, I can bring those dream 100 clients into my, into, into my wall. And then that puts them in front of the newsletter and that's gotten some people to sign up that way. And I think it's led to a couple uh, paid subscriptions too. The other thing I do that has been nice since the pan, uh, pandemic has started to wane and, and here in Wisconsin, it's pretty, uh, we're pretty opened up is uh, when I see people at the farmer's market or whatever, I just say, hey, by the way, I have a newsletter. I should, and I think, I think, uh, I think one of your podcast episodes kind of sparked that. I'm like, yeah, I should, why am I not telling people about this? <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> it's, it's amazing how many people launch a business and then don't tell anyone they've done it. It's incredible. And I used to do that. The only reason I say it on the podcast is because I would never tell people about the good work I was doing. And I think it's just human nature. You just get on with what you're doing. And we're not natural self-promoters, but self-promotion makes all the difference. Yeah, this is this is a field of dreams. They're not going to come just because you built it. <laughs> well, yes, Kevin Costner lied to all of us. Did, uh, yes. I'm sorry, Kevin Costner, <laughs> but it's not true. It's not true. Don't like it. Please stop telling people that. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we should get Kevin Costner on the show and get him to apologize for saying that. Do you think that's going to happen? I, I think we need a real reckoning with Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you've infected the popular zeitgeist with this belief that if you build it, they will come. And it's just not true, Kevin. You've done people a disservice. Can we do a new movie that uh, if you build it, no one will come until you promote it? And we'll do that. I, I bet he had some marketing help anyway. I, I, I bet he had some angels going out and spreading the word, I bet. That's how I oh, got yes. all that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So those are the two marketing strategies for that. I just add to the private group bit, what's going through my head is quite a lot of the local groups that build in a city are buy and sell community they sometimes somehow add value to the people in the community. So I think the key here is to build a private Facebook group that adds value to the community that then leads to your offering, or you can have it through there. So I always, the expression I always come to is you can have anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want in life. And is this Facebook group giving people what they want, giving information, leading to where they want. And as much value as we can deliver, I think is great. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. It's actually given me some ideas that maybe uh, I should have a, a little exclusive uh, story on there once in a while that doesn't appear on the newsletter or something else. Yes, yeah, an exclusive this or an offer this, or you know a local business is opening up and doing a special day, you just announce it there. There's stuff people can't always find other places. Then they're going to want to be part of it. And I always, I always remember I have a friend called Matt in Basingstoke, and he ran a page all about Basingstoke. And basically, he just joked about what was going on in Basingstoke. And it ended up with tens of thousands of people following and being part of this group about the local town because it was humorous, because it was fun, because it made them laugh. And he just, every lunchtime, he went out for a walk to get his lunch from his job and would do a post about something funny happening in the town. And I'll tell you what, in Basingstoke, if you look hard enough, there's something funny happening every day. You're like, why is this going on? <laughs> uh, and he built an incredible following just because it was entertaining and fun. Well, that's cool. That's something to think about. Hey, can I ask you something like slightly irrelevant? No. Okay, I won't then. <laughs> <laughs> of course you can. You can ask anything you like. Anything there are I want. No limits. No limits. Go for it. So, I mean, you're from the UK, but you spent a lot of time in, in the US and working with US entrepreneurs too. Have you noticed any difference between the two countries and how the two, two, two different people approach entrepreneurship or anything different in the way you've had to deliver? The honest answer is not really. I think there are nuances and... In America, you tend to be slightly more open to self-development. There's less doubt about the content. However, you, the Americans have been on so many free courses that then they try and upsell you to a 20 grand coaching program afterwards. They're very skeptical of our motives, whereas we come along and just want to help. And they're like, why are you doing this? This is weird. Shouldn't you be trying to upsell me? So I think there's different skepticisms on both sides the British people need to be pushed more to promote because we have this weird like stiff upper lift. We don't want to be we don't want to be out there as much. In general, Americans are more comfortable like jumping on camera, doing podcasts, doing things and being out there. Those are sort of minor differences, but it's still the fear of putting yourself out there. It's still the same issues, the same mental blocks. It's still wondering, where am I going to get the money? What am I going to do? People are people the world over. And BC, the first time I went to run an event in Namibia in Africa, I was scared. 
It was like, is my content going to translate to Southern African Namibian? And I was worried. And then all of a sudden, I'm walking around Windhoek, the capital city, and I see this wall. And along the wall are posters saying, would you like help writing your business plan? Need to get a loan. We've got advisors that can help you. And then there's another poster saying, how to raise money to start your business. And in that moment, I had this revelation that actually people have the same beliefs, fears, ways of doing things. And we got on stage at the National Women's Summit in Namibia, and they all had, they didn't, not many people had laptops, but they all had smartphones. There was a way to connect to Facebook and market. There was a way to sell. There's cultural differences, but the starting a business, people are people. We have the same fears. We have the same things. And it's really interesting. Uh, speaking of cultural differences, I had to laugh because I was listening to one of your episodes where you were talking about having a boot sale. For the, it, it took about 20 minutes into the podcast where I realized you weren't actually selling like boots that you would wear on your feet, but it was like a garage <laughs> or a, a, like a tr like you're talking about the trunk of a car. <laughs> yes, exactly. A trunk, a trunk. They have this thing in England called a car boot sale where you fill up your, we call it a boot. We fill up your trunk with all the stuff from your house, drive to a random field, and then people buy the stuff out of the back of your car or on tarpaulins that are sat down. Yeah, I should have said garage sale. <laughs> oh, sorry, garage sale. Garage, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the vocabulary is different. The issues and the way of doing it is exactly the same. Well, I thought all my years of watching Doctor Who would have prepared me for it, but I guess, like, I guess it didn't. <laughs> well, so I wanted to ask you, have you coached, I, I assume you probably have, but have you coached people in my situation where they have a business that somewhat competes with their employer and how did that how did that work out for them? I haven't like I can't think of an actual example of someone who's done this. I think that there are plenty of people who go, okay, this is what I do for my full time thing. I've learned a load of skills here. I can go and do it myself. And there's a transition period. And you've developed a huge amount of skills writing, editing, selling sponsorship, promoting in the newspaper world that can directly apply to what you're doing. And it makes sense to build a business using the skills you've developed. It makes sense. And most people do that. Most people do that. They take the skills they've got and go and doing it. And how does it turn out? I think any new business has a chance of failing. Where your chances get better are if you accept that probably it'll fail a few times and you go, if I just keep going positively, I will find the way to make money and I will work it out. And those people they always make it in the end. They always make it in the end because you just, every time it goes wrong, you learn and you have another go and you'll always get there. So I kind of, I look at UBC and I look at the listeners to this podcast. If you're learning, if you're growing, if you're testing, if you're experimenting, if you're avoiding debt, <laughs> it is unbelievable where you can get to with positive action. And if you keep doing it, I guarantee you will get there. It's painful at the start because it could well go wrong. However, you will get there. Yeah, I, f I feel good about my particular business because uh, I like the idea of just having regular subscriber revenue. It's a little more predictable than I have to sell 10 widgets and then I have to sell 20 <laughs> widgets next month and 30 <laughs> widgets the following month. Like just having that subscriber revenue, like right now, it's a pretty cool side hustle. 
and I hope I hope to grow that into one day it being my main occupation. I love that. And you can keep testing new things as you go along because you never know. The subscriber base in the city might get to a certain point and then you test something else and you go, oh, that's some energy there and there's some money there. And I think it's always about keep testing things, even if you're an existing business and see where the energy, where the money is, because you never know without testing. And we've had to do that a lot at Rebel Business School over the last year because the whole world changed for physical events. And we had to keep running mini experiments. And the subscriber base you've got is fantastic. And it might change in the future. Who knows? Yeah. One thing that does come to me is, I think this was Kevin Kelly who said this, but he said that there is, a, there is more information than you could ever handle. Like we get more information thrown at us in a week than our great grandparents did in their lifetime. And actually, it's not the information that is valuable. It is the curation of information. So telling me which of the three articles I need to read, because there are a million books on sales. However, there are three that will change the way you think forever and help you make progress. And it's the curation of said information that's actually valuable, given the excess of information that is thrown at people every day. I think that's 100% true. And that's a lesson I took from my my day job because I, I work for a weekly newspaper. And I always thought, well, how can a weekly newspaper compete with a daily newspaper when they're getting, or a TV, when they're getting all this information like every single day? But I found that people, you know, our, our paper was more successful than really any other paper in the region because I think people liked the way we curated things. And I think they liked that once a week, they could just read the paper. Great. I got all the stuff that I need for the week. I know what's going on. Now I can go about my day. And so, you know, and it's a different, you know, there's, there definitely is a customer base that, you know, wants as much information as possible and is going to just consume endlessly. And they're probably the ones that are going to be paid subscribers because they want more and more. But for most folks, I think, I think they really like just getting that once a week thing. So I just decided to take some of the friction out of having to happen to be at the supermarket to pick it up. You know, now it's just like right to your inbox. You can read it while you're in bed. I purposely put it pretty early in the morning. I, I wrap it all up on Wednesday and then set it to come really early in the morning on Thursday so people can be in bed and read it before they even, even get up. And I think that's interesting. A, yeah, I think that's a huge advantage. And I, I like what you said about curation. I think that's really, really smart. Which comes back to how do you sell this subscription? which that could be part of the sales message to these people is don't waste your time. Here's the best. Yeah, good point. Good point. Well, is there anything that you wanted to say to cap things off? I was going to tell you about one more business that you've helped inadvertently through me for me giving advice to someone else from stuff I'd heard from you because my friend Gina started a triathlon clothing company. And oh, wow. I convinced her to, instead of having like, inventory and all this other stuff i said do like uh do like a like a, a limited sale and then get a bunch of orders and then make those orders bring them out send them to people then you have exclusivity and plus you don't have to invest a ton in inventory you can it's almost like made to order and she's had pretty pretty good success with it so far i love that and then she can keep doing that there's no reason why you have to transition to a traditional model you can keep pre-selling you can make it exclusive you can make it time limited i love that i love yeah, that she, yeah she's been calling them seasons so she just releases a season and then there's like a two-week window or like a week window or whatever it is and 
she get, she has a supplier. She sends the order to the supplier. They send it to her. She ships it out to the customers with a personal note. Yeah, it's a, she calls it a Ciao Bella. That's fantastic. I love that. And thank you for spreading the message of debt-free entrepreneurship. Because if we can help a bunch of people avoid debt, make their own money, doing something they love, I just think the world will be a happier place. Like, there'll be a bunch of people running around doing what they want to do. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And uh, I, I just it just makes a lot of sense. It dovetails into everything I've learned through, you know, frugality and, and fire. So it's it's all kind of uh, it's all kind of gelling together. I like it. So the question for you, BC, is how do you think frugality, financial independence and entrepreneurship, how do they work together? How do they mix? What do you think the commonalities are? Because entrepreneurs don't often hang out with fire and FI people. Like if you go to a fire meetup, it's mainly bearded engineers. And you go to an entrepreneurship meetup and it is not that they just don't do managing finances in the same way. But how do you think they should mix? Oh, man, I have thoughts. Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think first off, you know, I think fire is just about building financial skills. In fact, I don't know. I, I kind of I kind of talked about fire today just because it related to Mr. Money Mustache and stuff. But I just think about like good personal finance skills. And obviously, those are going to benefit you in business, like if, for for a lot of reasons. One, just because I think you're going to be naturally better at doing the accounting part of it and thinking about expenses versus revenue. And I also think going back to it, it, it makes it easier for you to jump off, as we kind of talked about earlier, not just having a higher net worth, but also also having your expenses low. Mike and I live in I live in the middle of Wisconsin, so life is pretty uh, pretty inexpensive here, and so. I don't need a lot of revenue to hit that baseline of support where that, that makes it much easier for me to jump off than it would if I was living in a high cost of living area or even living here, but spending a ton. So that's, that's definitely part of it too. And the, the one, the third thing I would add is that people, I think people in fire tend to start, you get to that point where your first step is I'm going to eliminate a lot of expenses that I should have been, I shouldn't have been spending on. I'm going to start but you get to the, you get to a point and you're like, okay, I'm pretty set now. This is where I'm at, and I'm earning X amount of dollars. How can I? For what's the next step? And the next step is usually starting some kind of side hustle, and often that means a business. And for me, that has you know, I think the difference is: are you trading time for money, or are you building something that's going to build you money, where you can put a certain amount of effort into it, but the returns are going to increase as you grow. And that's what I like about this newsletter is there's really no cap on it other than, you know, the population of Wausau and the surrounding area. So, you know, I can keep growing with that for the same amount of effort. And that's that's something that's really appealing to me. And I think that's I think that's where that's where financial independence and entrepreneurship really kind of kind of dovetail. And also yours is like perfect for for the the fire set because it's all about doing things on not I don't want to say on the cheap, but being efficient and you know, making a sale first versus like putting all this money into something that might just go kaput. Yes, because I've seen so many people go kaput over the years, and I don't want that to happen to anyone else after this stuff. BC, this has been a huge amount of fun. Where can people find your podcast? Where can people find out more about you? Sure. They can go to wassonian.substack.com if they want to see what I'm doing with the newsletter. You know, it's probably not going to be super interesting to people outside of Wassa, but if, if you're interested in how I'm doing it, that might be. 
interesting. <laughs> um, on YouTube, you can find my Keep It Awesome. That's my podcast channel. And I also have Frugal BC where I talk about I talk about financial independence, entrepreneurship, and crypto. I like I'm kind of into crypto too. And then I have frugalwheels.com. That's my uh, my financial independence slash crypto website. So you can you can read my thoughts there too. You really are doing a lot of different things. Yeah, I gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yes. find that every, I find that every time I say like, you know, I should do less things. That's usually when I add one or two more things. And so yeah, <laughs> it's it's an addiction. <laughs> Yes, it's it's challenging when you're someone who's creative and you've got ideas, you want to create and you want to build and you want to do things. And that runs in contradiction to focus, getting one thing done, making one thing successful. And it's challenging. I have a very similar issue and I keep trying to give up as many things as I can so I can just focus on the podcast or just focus on this one thing. Well, I want to say that I, I really appreciate what you're doing. I think I think you've changed a lot of lives and you've definitely impacted mine. I mean, I would it's the things I'm doing now, like I'm structuring them because of the stuff I heard from you. So thanks. Thanks so much for doing what you do, man. BC, that is the nicest thing. Thank you so much for taking over the podcast and building this discussion about competition and whether business is a zero sum game. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.